Hello everyone and welcome to a brand new episode of Sigma Sports Presents Matt Stevens Unplugged. It's 2023. Uh, well, it well it wasn't when I recorded this, but the time you're listening to this, it is. It's 2023, so happy new year. And to kick off the new year in style, we've managed to get a total superstar of the sport on the podcast today. I'm talking about Mads Pedersen. Now, what can I tell you about my chat with Mads? Well, he was on a training camp in Calpe in Spain when we spoke, which he found incredibly boring. Uh, he is a very honest man indeed, folks. He told me all about his hot weather acclimatization techniques, which were fascinating and equally bonkers uh, and totally probably not what you're thinking about at all. Um, we also chatted about how he got into the sport of cycling in the early days and how it's fundamentally changed over the years, especially the last couple of years, and also how it feels to look down at the rainbow bands on his sleeves and how inspirational and motivational they are. Plus, get this, we did a quiz about his hometown of Aarhus, which is not his hometown. In fact, he was raised 300 kilometers away uh, but that's all i'd prepared and we did the quiz anyway and you know what he does okay so why not get comfortable on a strange seat in a living room 300 kilometers away from your own try not to worry too much about where you are just relax and keep the swearing down because this is the mads pedersen episode you know it's that time again Podcast. Mads Pedersen, born 18th of December 1985, is a Danish professional racing cyclist who rides for UCI world team Trek Segafredo. On the wet Yorkshire roads of September 2019, he became the first Danish man to win the road race title at the UCI Road World Championships. He's had a cracking season in 2022 with nine victories to bolster his already burgeoning Palmares. Now, while these facts are true, you do need to be careful when researching Mads, as I found out. His Wikipedia page is not entirely accurate. Now, we recorded our chat on the roll-up to Christmas 2022, when the unapologetically honest Dane was away at a team training camp, where his hotel had less than impressive views. Check it out. Well, Mads Pedersen, thanks very much, mate, for joining us on the podcast, live from your training camp. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, can you just... Um, Tell everybody, I've, we've, we've had a conversation briefly before you came on air. Just tell everybody where you are in the world and what you can see as well, Mads, immediately around you. So I'm sitting in a hotel in, in Spain, in Calpa, and doing the usual super boring uh, December training camp. And actually, we have a quite nice view from uh, our press officer's room. But if you, went, if you go down to my room, it's... Uh, it's pretty bad. It's only you're looking straight into a supermarket. <laughs> I would say at least well, that doesn't really seem fair. Maybe you could swap with Jacob, uh, the press officer, and see if you can get a better view. That doesn't seem fair for one of the team leaders, former world champion, mate. Surely you can uh, appe- make an appeal. Yeah, but the problem is with this guy is he's calling himself team management. So, you know, he always puts, puts himself before the rest of the riders, but... That's typical him, so we have to stick with it. Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, you don't want to upset, you don't want to upset uh, team management, mate. But uh, so, you, you, you I, I do. You're a very direct person, Mads. You know, I, I do like. I mean, having been teammates with Danes and Norwegians years and years ago when I was a professional, you have a very direct style, which I really like. There's, there's no bullshit, really. You're straight to the point, and and I admire your honesty. So. You, you said you, this is a bit of a boring training camp, but can you just explain the purpose of the December camp? Because 
for a lot of teams, it's getting used to equipment, meeting new riders, getting new kit, press stuff. But is there much riding on this on this camp that you're doing as well? So for us, they they try to put all this uh, media stuff and you know clothing fitting and so on in the first three days of the camp, and then we start to ride the bike. But somehow every year surprises them how much time it takes. So we're gonna extend those three days to the whole camp, but just riding a bit more. Um, so today was the first real day of, of training. Yeah, so I, you broke up a little bit there, Mads, but you, you said today was the first real day of training. So what did that actually involve? Did you go, I mean, what's the time now? We're recording this at like four o'clock your time. So I take it you've been out for a really decent long ride. So the plan was five and, five and a half hours riding. Um, a little bit of high or low cadence interval, so five times six minutes a low cadence. And then we had to do, I think it was six sprints of 10 seconds uh, side by side with another rider. And uh, the rest was just uh, cruising around and uh, having a, a great time here in the sun. Nice. And who drew the, the short straw, Mad, to ride alongside you to sprint? <laughs> who was it? Moschetti? Was it? Was it one of the sprinters? Or who, who would? No, oh, Moschetti and, is not on the team anymore. Oh, of course, he's moved yeah. on. Ah, ah yeah, yeah. apologies. So, so who were you riding no, with? That's my my error. Uh, I was sprinting against uh, Nis Tibonus. Ah, um, the, the, yeah. Okay. Our new, our new uh, cyclocross youngster. And how was he? How did he cope with your with your accelerations? Ah, it's no problem for him. He took me four out of six times, so that's perfect. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. But we had to do some some heavy gear, you know, uh, big gears starts. And uh, what I didn't want to tell him is I'm using a 56, and he's using a a 52 or 54, <laughs> and we have to use the same, you know, the same one in the back. Yeah. So when he's on the 14 and we have to start a sprint, he's on the 52 and a 54, but I'm on a 56. Ah, so it's going to take a little bit more time to get that gear going round, isn't it? Fair enough. Mate. Yeah, but Fair he's enough. happy and I'm happy, so that's perfect, you know. That's great. It's, it's I really mean, good. I mean, that's a really, I mean, I didn't, I mean, you've got the new lineup. There's, there's not a lot of changes in the team for 2023. There's a real consistency to the squad and you're obviously on the squad long term now and you're still a young man, but you're, You've been around a little bit now, well-respected rider. Do you enjoy speaking to the young guys on the team, especially Thibaut Nice? Obviously, he comes from you know a, a amazing pedigree in his family. He's got a lot of potential. But do you uh, do you like it when the young guys come on the team? Do you do you feel that you can offer something to them in terms of support, advice, even though you're still a relatively young guy yourself? Um, I I always like to have you know young guys on the team. I think it's it's nice to see. Uh, guys coming up from from let's say smaller degrees or what whatever we can call it, like him coming from cycling cross cycle cross moving into into road racing and onto the biggest scene, and of course it's super nice. And I would like to to give him the advices he he's asking for, but it's not like uh, I'm you know going to him and telling him everything because I have a focus on my my own career and. Uh, yeah, so so mainly I, I focus on myself, but I also, you know, when we're riding and, and we're talking, then of course, if he asks, then uh, I, I tell him what I think uh, and what I know. Yeah, and and the, you're meeting some of these riders for the first time. I know he was a stagiaire with the team. I'm not actually sure if you raced against him yet, but with the new riders coming in, 
this is the first instance to really get to know the team, isn't it? I know everybody's focused on their own objectives. You've got some some more big objectives next year, of course. And and it's cycling is a, a solitary sport, but when you're in a big team of 29, 30 riders, you you have to gain trust of the new riders as well. So so that's the thing. Establishing that trust, that rapport is, I think it's something that can't be under understated, really. Yeah, I think that's for sure, because in, in, in road cycling, you need your teammates and you need to trust them 100%. And you also need to know which kind of riders they are, like physically and what they're capable of. Uh, and this starts already now. You know, you can't just let them hang around right now and then... Uh, when you need them in uh, in Tour of Luxembourg in the end of September, then uh, you start to to realize what they, what they're doing and how good riders they are and so on. So it's about uh, learning learning new teammates um, or learning how your new teammates are riding already. Now it makes it a lot easier when you have to race with them in the Definitely. season. I mean, you've already talked about you've got your own focus, I and mean, when you look back on twenty twenty two. You must be pretty happy with the way things went. Nine wins. So I think you were like the fifth or sixth ranked rider in terms of wins at the World Tour. Um, but then there were across, the, your first win was in February and your last win, as we know, was was back at the Vuelta. So you had a lot of wins. You're, you had a successful season. But what I noticed looking back through your results is a remarkable consistency as well. Is that something that you've worked on? Is it something that you found very easy uh, to keep that consistency? Because of the level of the sport now, which we'll hopefully talk about in a few minutes, is incredible. But you've remained consistent throughout the season. Yeah, of course. Uh, to be honest, it was, it was, let's say, tough because I showed in the past that when when I have my best days, I can be on the top but, you know, it was quite, uh, <clears throat> let's say, too often I was also not on my best days and not even near my best days. So it was a lot more up and down. And I have been working on that for almost every season. Uh, it was one of the goals to be more stable. Um, but now we are there. Now we, we found a good recipe and, and now we know how to build up the shape and how to, you know, take it easy when, when it's needed. So... It, it's pretty good now, and, and I'm super happy, of course, with the 2022 season. Not only because of this, the the results, but also because I showed the whole season that I'm good. Yeah, and and as well, looking at the the kind of terrain that you, one thing that we've known for a long time, actually, Mads, is, is your versatility. I mean, you can prefer your versatility not just in terms of terrain, but also the the way that you can win a race from a big bunch from a reduced bunch solo as well if needed or that's that's really you can you can win from any given situation but one thing that i find really interesting about the your your resilience is the fact that you can perform in really bad weather the, the coldest weather but really in the in the in the heat as well remember the tour your, your stage win in the tour and, and in the vuelta um is that something that you've that's come natural to you that the fact that you can perform really well in on all in all environments in all sorts of weathers because that, that is something that not a lot of riders have the ability to do so the the rain and the bad weather for me that's you know i, I grew up with it Denmark it's pretty sh- doing the whole weather so <laughs> yeah. you kind of have to to get used to minus five degrees a bit of rain snow and, and cold feet uh so quite fast in in my career you know already as a kid i learned that it's rain it's cold but we have to suck it up and do what we plan to do while 
the heat was really killing me for many many years it was if it was above 30 degrees i overheated completely right so to get used to 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 the heat and be able to perform in in hot weather it took a lot of training and a lot of uh, hot showers and and so on to to get used to yeah to or just to be able to to perform and, and produce the same amount of power when it's uh, more than 30 degrees that's really interesting is that something that you've actually particularly worked on then is it's not something you've just let happen because there's certain things you have no control over you know you go to a race you can't have any impact apart from what you what you wear and your, your cooling strategy or your warming up strategy you but so did you actually focus on on the, the adaptation side of, of of riding in the heat yes uh, wow. but not on the bike uh, a lot of guys they do heat adaptation on the bike it means that they go either on the home trainer with a lot of clothing or they ride in the summer with winter clothing on or something like this but we are using uh, hot tops um, with uh, water on 42 degrees right and then it, it's 20 minutes only with the head above water uh, straight after training and that gives also distress to the body uh, and it gives the body you know the training of uh, being able to to ride in in, in warmer weather. But I, I, do you know what, Mads? I've spoken to a lot of pros uh, over the years, and I've I've I mean I, I've even trained for humid conditions when I was racing in uh, in Malaysia. I trained in the, in, the, in my garage with the tumble dryer on with the towels for yeah. humidity. But I've I've never heard of riders getting in a hot tub for twenty minutes. I've heard of riders get cooling down and having an ice bath. But I've never yeah. heard of that. Who was this part of? Um, was this is this kind of new, or is it something that's been around for a while? Who introduced you to that to that side of things? When did you recognise you needed to really focus on that? I quite fast. I needed. I realised that I needed <laughs> to focus on it. But yeah, I also realised that I had other other things to focus on before this. Sure. Uh, but I started use it like three years ago with my former coach. Uh, he kind of. Yeah, I read some studies and we were like, okay, let's try it. Let's see how it works. Because I didn't like to do, you know, if I had five hours uh, training, I don't like to do five hours on the road and then spend another hour on the home trainer sure. uh, with all the clothing on. I think for me, that's a lot of stress for the body. And I think it's uh, more stress than needed. And if you can get the same outcome from the trainings or the activities, let's say like, like this, uh, by sitting 20 minutes in hot water, then I would 100% prefer to sit 20 minutes in the hot water after a long and hard training because then I can uh, perform in my training 100%. And then after the training, I'm already, you know, drinking my protein shake. I'm already sure. filling up on food. Yeah. But I still, I still kind of doing a training for being better in the heat, sitting in the hot water. Right. That's amazing. That's something I've never heard. Yeah, it, it's tougher than expected. You you should try it once. Somewhere, okay. if you have a hot tub, put in water, forty two degrees, and then try to keep your head uh, only the head above water for for just tw tw uh, twenty minutes, and then uh, I, send me a text how you feel after. <laughs> so I was imagining that you'd be in a hot tub, bubbles, you know, uh, a glass of wine, maybe not a glass of wine, maybe a beer on the go or something. But it, it's, it sounds like it's, what from what you're telling me, Mads, it's pretty stressful. It's a, a very uncomfortable, yeah? 
It is because when 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 you're going there for you know for for joy, you know, with with the bubbles and a little bit of, <laughs> it's nice. It's cold outside. It's nice to sit underneath. I bet you have never been with your whole body and only the head above the water for twenty minutes. No, no, that's right. At one point, you will have like, oh, I need I need to cool down a little bit. You stand up and then you can sit down again. But it's 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 a lot harder than expected. Okay, well, I, I feel, Mads, a, some sort of Sigma Sports video coming up with me trying the Mads Pedersen um, heat training technique, do a five-hour ride and come and sit in a hot tub. So, I'll, um, I, yeah, I'll, I'll keep you posted on how that goes. <laughs> Perfect. That would be uh, good. It's, it's, it's really fascinating uh, understanding the, the way that riders um, focus on different parts of their, of their training. But one thing that I wondered, given the fact that you are so versatile, you did, you've only got to look at your results um, over the last few years and you, you hit the ground running when, when you signed for Trek after a couple of years at Pro Conti level. Big results very, very yeah. quickly. What area of, I mean, you're, what, you're 26 now. It's your birthday in a couple of days, isn't it? Yeah, um, it's, uh, uh, in two days. In two days. So, oh, are you going to be at home or are you going to be on the training camp? I'm oh, in the training camp, like, oh, like every mate. year, the last oh, eight years. Oh, no. I'm so sorry, mate. Oh, well. I'm sure they'll make you a cake. <laughs> have to, is Jacob there? You'd have to get make, make sure... Jacob, I'm sure they're going to get you a cake and we'll see it on Instagram, won't we, probably? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Jacob, he's going to film my birthday cake and uh, <laughs> the, chef, the chef, he also likes me, so he already asked me which kind of cake I, I wanted. Oh, very nice, mate. Well, that's good to know. That's good to know. But just in relation to you as a rider, what part of your game, um, to coin a footballing analogy, what part of your of of your ability would you do you think you can improve on the most, Matt? I mean, because you you can sprint, you can TT really well, you can, as we've talked about, you can ride in weather extremes very effectively. What's the part of of the game that you would like to improve the most? Do you think you can really make some gains on? Um, if if I look on it like a race specific um, or like kind of races I would say the classics I still need to perform really well in the classics I you know I, I have a result here and there in the classics but I never I wasn't there all the time um, sure. and, and to look into that it, it, I don't know which kind of trainings or, or what I, I should change. It's just like if I need to to give something of what I'm doing a bit more focus, I would focus more on being better in the classics. So that would be maybe a bit physically, um, maybe train a little bit different so I could get uh, more used to the stress of going up and down, right and left and, you know, all the kicks. Yeah. Um, so maybe it would be, let's say we have a 5K. I would train it like this. We have a 5K lap with eight corners in and out of every corner. I don't have to sprint all out, but I have to get the bike back up to the same speed as before the corner for every sure. corner. I think that would yeah. be the best way of, of training what what I think I'm missing for, for the biggest uh, you know, classics. Yeah, and, and when you look at, I mean, we always talk about Van der Poel, Van Aert. I mean, they are incredibly gifted riders, but when you look at what they do in cross, and uh, I didn't intend this question to end up talking about cyclocross, but that, and you look at Pidcock, for example, just three examples. I mean, 
cross offers that, doesn't it? You know, they, but again, it's competitive throughout the winter, so there's other compromises that have to be made. If you ride a full cross season, it impacts your 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 road season. But yeah, that that stop start element of training is um, you can you can ride hard for five hours, but it's these real repetitive peaks, peak power, and uh, take, and, and I guess the energy. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's the it's the, the truest definition of, of fitness, isn't it? Is these repeated efforts that you can sustain, especially in in a race like Flanders, which is a race you've obviously yep. come second in before, you know. But there's a as as well as that, there's um, and I'm looking at I've got your 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 results from this year in the classics. It's still pretty solid. Sixth in Milan San Remo, you know, seventh in Ghent Wevelgem, which you won in 2020. Eighth in Flanders, you know, the the and and, and Roubaix is a race that you want to win as well. And and I know you've said that you. You are definitely capable of winning these races. It's just finding a way to win them, isn't it? It's whether you treat, uh, tweak your training, and it's also there's a um, you, your team has, has to be involved in that as well. It's the riders that you have around you. So it, it's a it's so complex, isn't it? It's difficult to really understand which part you need to adapt. But that's what makes racing so fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, that's true. Because it would be so easy if you just show up every year and you have to do the same and then you win. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, this shit is uh, different every year and you have to adapt to it quite fast yeah um, but but again that's as you're saying it's a nice thing about cycling it's just it's not the same recipe every time you have to change yeah. it a little bit to be within the best so and some years you, you hit it perfectly and some years you miss the last 1% even that you worked you know 100% for it but you maybe did a little bit different or a little bit wrong and then that's the difference from from winning to being number eight. Yeah. Yeah, it's it is fascinating. I mean just just take us back in time a little bit. I mean, not too far, but like twenty nineteen and we will talk about the worlds in a little bit. I know you've obviously talked about it on multiple occasions, but I'd like you to share a little bit about that in a, in a short time. But significantly I'm I'm talking now about the way that the cycling landscape has changed over the last couple of years. So you we go into the winter of twenty nineteen, you're the new elite world road champion. Then we have COVID and then the sport and, and we're all locked down for a while. Then we have this short season where you won Gent Wevelgem in 2020. And then we had that short season in 2020 and then we had 2021 and 2022. And for me, as, as somebody who is firstly a fan of the sport, I love the sport, but as a, as a commentator who's calling these races and watching them unfold, that, and you've ridden in like 2017, 2018, 2019, and then 2021, 22. It seems I wouldn't say a different sport, but the, the racing is is seems quicker. It seems more dynamic. It looks even more brutal. Is it fair to say that, um, or is it just me? Because uh, the racing looks a lot different than it was just two years ago, uh, Mads. Well, what's your view on that? It's completely different from when I turned pro uh, world tour pro in seventeen. It's uh, if man, we go so fast all the time, and it's not you know. <laughs> It, just five years ago, it was kind of, you know, unwritten rules, the breakaway goes, sprinters controls, and then they come back 15Ks to go, and then it's a sprint and so on. But for me, now, nowadays, you don't know anymore what's happening. You have no idea, and you don't know if the sprinter teams want to, to pull or not. It's You can make every plan you want in the box, and then you show up at the race, and then another team they saw the course you know a little bit different than we did and then they're like yeah my friend he would never make it so yeah, we out and then the, the whole race is different yeah so it's and, and we ride so fast now and it's every race 
you know, I, I beat records in, in Tour of Norway just to follow. I have to, you know, <laughs> both years, like last year and this year, I had to do, you know, within my eight best uh, 20 minutes in, a, wow. in Tour of Norway just to follow the front group. And That's insane. It's, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty tough racing now and, and, and really we go, go faster and faster, but... It's also nice, you know, it's, of course, it goes that direction. The equipment is also getting faster. So, you know, we have to follow it and, and people is getting more and more professional with, with training and nutrition and so on. So, of course, the sports uh, took a big, big step the last uh, last five years. Yeah, I, I, th- I think it's been, the, it's, it's been noticeable. I mean, it's sport any sport shifts and change over the years you know you've got the, the the physiological side of it which we understand and then the in cycling in particular the technological side the the, the clothing you're wearing the the equipment you're riding on just the diameter of the tires for god's sake you know but just this last couple of years that seems to have accelerated and, and i think as as people watching the sport i, I think and this is, extends across to the women's side of it as well bike racing in general men's and women's bike racing is just thrilling to watch it's so so exciting and in, increasingly unpredictable and how have you as trek Siegfriedo, in, in look at the management structure and trek how do you react to that the, over the last couple of years because you've been with trek all of your world tour career you're going to be with them till 2025 at the very least so how are you adapting to that from a strategic perspective are you, are you're having to learn really really fast i mean i guess that's exciting but how, how much has, has the team tactics side of things changed in terms of your planning for races especially the ones that you're involved in that you're trying to target to win how has that shifted so so if you if you take it in in general the team looks you know five years ago uh, I, I never heard about, or the team never talked about going into wind tunnel or arrow sleeves or whatever we are using, you know, to get faster right now with the equipment side. It's, you know, nowadays it's like, yeah, but the, the clincher tires with the latex in the tube, it's, it's a little bit slower, like 0.3 watts slower than the tubeless, but we also save some weight. And you know now it's really down to every every small detail, and and this the team is really growing at, and and they also get expertise from, you know, from other sports that used let's say aerodynamics for many years. Now we have uh, Pirelli as a sponsor, and they have really good know-how about tires and all that uh, kind of stuff from from motorsports from Formula One. Yeah, and they use that technology with us also. So. It's really good from from the team side. They they do a lot more of of preparation with the best um, uh, partners uh, they can do to make us fast as possible. And then uh, if we if we think about tactics, um, yeah, yeah, it's just you know, it's just another um, cycling is just. Um, yeah, as we talked about before, it's it's going faster and faster, and of course, the, all the sports directors have to think a bit, bit different to to make the right tactics nowadays. And uh, also, in the past, maybe we had more than one or two horses to play at when we were racing, while now it's better to to only have one and one or two, and then uh, the rest of the team is basically help us. Um, so. At least that's our mentality of racing. Then you have a team like Jumbo who can bring 
you know, seven guys who can win, uh, <laughs> yeah. win everything. Yeah, um, yeah but yeah. Uh, of course, it, it, it changed. But also, it's difficult for me to sit here and tell you what changed because for me, it came in, you know, bit by bit, and and I don't didn't really realize doing it how much it's changing sure. or changed. Sure. Uh, while if if I just look back to two thousand. Let's say just 15 when I turned um, uh, pro pro continental with with Kult. Uh, from there to now, it's uh, the difference is it's unbelievable. It's that's yeah. uh, it, that's even crazy how much um, how much that happened since. Yeah, it, it is. It's. Uh, I mean, you're talking about Colt. Actually, you're a teammate, weren't you? Of. Uh, of a, of a friend of the podcast, Russell Downing, back then. Um, oh was, yeah, was, yeah. He's a lovely guy, a good, a good, good friend yeah, of definitely. mine. Definitely. Yeah, he's a, he's a top guy. He's a he's a big fan of yours as well as a friend of yours. And I know that, especially him being from Yorkshire and you winning the world championships, mate. Um, I was there as well. What, what a actually. While we've come into that, I mean, can you just reflect a little bit on that day? We're gonna we're nearly at the halfway point in 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 the podcast, but I'd like you just to reflect a little bit. I mean, do you? You've now got a constant reminder that your, your days in the rainbow bands are gone, but you have them on your sleeves and who knows, you could win the world championships again. But you now have a constant reminder, even when you're just like, you're doing your best 20 minute power on the Tour of Norway. Every time you just look at your sleeves, there's those rainbow bands there. Constant reminder. Does, do you, has that changed the way that you feel riding in the peloton? I mean, it, being a world champion is is for a lot of people they never get, they can never achieve it, especially in elite you know in elite sport. But um, how often do you think about the fact that you are you know you were world champion and, and you've always gonna you're always gonna have those rainbow bands on your jersey? In, in, in the race, yeah, it's it's not easy because you know I, sometimes I look back at it and I'm I'm super proud of it. And sometimes people are talking about the 2020 season where I couldn't race all the races in the jersey and they felt sorry for me. But no one should feel sorry for me because if I ask you in 15 years how many race days I had in the World Champs jersey, you, you would never know. But if, you, if I ask you who won the World Championships in 2019, you would know. Yes. So yeah. they, they can't take it away from me. And it doesn't matter how many race days I had in the jersey. So I'm just proud of what I, I achieved, and it makes me hungry to to try to get it one more time. Yeah, but yeah, but, but sitting in the peloton with with the stripes on the sleeves, I think of course it gives a bit more respect also. Um, and and sometimes it's also used, you know. Um, some some people will be will be pissed if you do a stupid move. They will be like, yeah. I thought you were world champion. I thought you had more class than that. <laughs> and then normally I tell them that I'm, I'm a former world champion. And when I lost my jersey, all the class also disappeared. And then they don't say anything. So uh, that's a good reply, man. That's a good reply. <laughs> it, it's uh, it's it's up and down, but mostly I'm I'm super proud of the of the stripes. And yeah, sometimes I look down at it and I say, this looks so nice and and. I'm happy that I, I managed to achieve that in, in my career. Well, the second, the second part of the pod, we're going to go back a little bit, I think, um, to when you were a younger rider, some of your inspirations and stuff. But, but you were born, um, Mads, um, in Aarhus. Is that, so what's the c- correct pronunciation of Aarhus? 
Aarhus. I don't know why, where you have that from. I was born like 300 kilometers from Aarhus. Were you? <laughs> where? That's. Oh no! Right, hold on a second. Right, okay. I don't know what. Right, have I written this down wrong? This is going to be funny if I have. Um. I can tell you from sure I'm, I'm not born for in Aarhus. I know, I'm you know. Like, the, yeah, you're in, you're in Tolhus. So how exactly. the hell? <laughs> how the hell? Oh, my God. So, um, okay, all right. This is going to be quite interesting. Um, how much do you know about Aarhus? <laughs> uh, I know they have an outdoor track, a concrete track. Um, okay. I know they have a harbour. Uh, is the biggest city in uh, on uh, Jutland, uh, that part of Denmark? Okay, well, I'll tell you um, what. What we're going to do, we're going to. I'm going to just ask you three questions from the, the just to see if you how much you know. It's the second. I think it's the second biggest city in Denmark, isn't it? So we're yeah. going to we're going to play the jingle. I'm I'm just I'm going to apologise for getting this completely wrong. I must have read it somewhere. <laughs> um, no so basically, I'm going to ask you a quiz about a town that you live 300 kilometres away. Um, Mads Pedersen, it's time for the Arhus quiz. Even though you're from Tolos. Yo yo. What's up? <laughs> you already? Uh, uh, Let's do it. Uh, uh, turn off your phone. That's right. Get your thinking cap on. Yeah, yeah. It's time. What time? Time for the Aarhus quiz. Yeah, it says here on Wikipedia that you were born in Aarhus. Um, what a load of rubbish. Somebody needs to update your Wikipedia. So I'm not yeah, going to use Wikipedia. Yeah, but you know Wikipedia, everyone can go in and then update it. I know. Well, I'd, I've so had some sure stuff in mind. Some my... guy from Aarhus, he would be proud, and then he said, "Yeah." <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! I tell you what, uh, I, I would imagine if uh, Jacob's still there, he's shaking his head and said, "We're never going to let Matt interview a Trek seeker, Fredo rider again because this guy is an amateur." Anyway, so we're going to do a little quiz because it's taken me an hour to prepare this. So here we go. Here's a couple of random questions about Arthur's. Anyway, just to just have a little bit of fun. Okay. Mad, do you know what the... I said multiple choice quiz, so you have a choice, okay? So it's if you don't know, you can guess, all right? So that's quite a bit of fun. So what is the nickname of Arhus? Okay, so it's known of the city of something, so it has a nickname. Um, is it A, the city of laughter? B, the city of smiles? C, the city of happiness? Or D, the city of fun? So what is the nickname of Arhus? Laughter, smiles, uh, ha- happiness, or fun? It's uh, smiles. It's correct. Smilets. Nice one. Smilesbu. Smilets. How do you say that? Smilesbu. Smilesbu. Nice one, mate. Well, there you go. 100% so far. That's good news. Um, right, so you clearly do know a little bit about Aarhus. Now, question number... Actually, there's four questions. Question number two. Now, the Aarhus, most cities and towns, as you know, have a coat of arms, okay? So on the Aarhus coat of arms, there are two men, it's a picture of two men sitting inside a red castle with a river drawn underneath, okay? What are these two men holding? Okay, so two men, it's a very old coat of arms, it dates back, it's the, it's the second oldest coat of arms in the whole of Denmark, dates back to 1250, okay? But what are these men holding? Are they each holding a sword, A, B, are they holding an axe and an anchor? C, an anchor and a sword? Or D, a sword and an axe? So, 
Are they holding a sword each? Has one got an axe and an anchor? Has one got an anchor and one a sword? Or has one got a sword and one got an axe? What do you reckon? It's an anchor and a sword. It's correct. <laughs> Flip. Wow. Flipping it. That's good. 100% so far. This is the best uh, quiz uh, we've had for a few weeks, actually, mate. So you're doing really well. Right. Okay. So now I can make, I can fuck up the last and then still. You're still going to pass. <laughs> you're still going to pass. So you're, on, you're doing well, mate. And the, so the final two questions. Question three. Aarhus Cathedral is the longest and the tallest cathedral in the whole of Denmark. Okay. But how tall is it? Okay, so it's the tallest in Denmark. How tall is it? Is it A, 96 metres? B, 98 metres? C, 100 metres? D, 102 metres? I think you might have to guess this one, unless you've got a really good cathedral knowledge. Can I get it again? (laughs) (laughs) So, 96 metres, 98 metres, 100 metres, or 102 metres tall? That's pretty tall. But but it would never be that tall because the highest building we have, it's like 46 meters and it's in Copenhagen. You're very... Oh, 36, sorry. Hold on a minute. No, this is... um, I'm just trying to find the, 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 uh, the, the details on this. Hold on. Transport, education, sports, <laughs> food, drink, parks, events... 96 meters is really high and I've been to one of the tallest buildings when I did my cafe ride with Sile uh, Utra Bludvig we went to like the sixth tallest building hold on Niles get any contact um, maybe it's in feet <laughs> I, I, I think it's in feet oh yeah it's got to be because 96 meters is that's really high isn't it landmarks hold, it's hold on. unbelievable high because we have uh, like oh, no, the no, round tower in Copenhagen no no I've got it here building. so this is incredible. So basically, I'm reading Aarhus Cathedral in the center of Aarhus is the longest and tallest church in Denmark. Um, 93 meters long, which is 305 feet long, and it is 96, 98, 100, or 102 meters high. Oh. So, yeah, which equates to just over 300 feet tall. So it, it, it is saying it's, it's that tall. So maybe... There's other buildings, but yeah, I mean, I'm looking at a picture of it. It does look crazy high. It does look very, very high. And it's built in the 13th century. Okay. Uh, and, yeah. and Niall has just texted I, me. Maybe I have no he's, idea. Yeah, my producer just texted me. Maybe he's saying that the whole of Danish Wikipedia is just lies. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Could be also. Um, so what are you going to go for? 96, 98, 100 or 102? Yeah, but you just said it was 102. No, did I say that? It's actually 96 meters. Oh, 96. Actually, but you just no, gave me the answer. Oh, sorry, mate. So well, I'm going to give you half a point for that. Um, no, it's okay. I, also, I can take that. It's okay. Are you sure? You're still going to get 75%. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it was built in the 13th century uh, in the Romanesque style um, and then changed and enlarged a little bit uh, as a Gothic. And, it, and it's, it's very tall. But yeah, 96 meters, which is 315 feet. Wow. That's tall. Okay, final question. Yeah. Final question. This is about pubs in Aarhus, okay? So what is the name, Mads, of the well-known pub in Aarhus named after a famous fictional character? 
Okay, it's on a street called Frederick's Garda. Frederick's Garda. Okay, it's Sherlock Holmes. Are you sure? Yes. Or Flintstone could be also. Okay, Okay. Um, is it Robin Hood pub, the Sherlock Holmes pub, the Peter Pan pub, or the James Bond pub? You're right, it's Sherlock Holmes. Absolutely fantastic, mate. So I am going to give you, because you just got it straight off the bat, I'm going to give you half a point for that. So that gives you around (laughs) 85% on the quiz. And it wasn't even your hometown. That deserves a round of applause from our live studio audience. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, superb. (laughs) Oh, Maz, we need you back on the quiz. I mean, firstly, we've never had, I've never got the quiz wrong in terms of actually... 300, 200 miles away, but you still knew a lot about... Have you been to the Sherlock Holmes pub? Of course. I've been destroyed in there a few times. <laughs> oh, mate, that's so funny. Oh, I'll have to go now. I'll have to go now. Oh, great. Oh, that, that's very, very funny. Um, well, I looked at it and I thought, maybe maybe he's been there. I don't know. I'm especially thinking that you'd live there for a while, but anyway. Right, okay, let's go back to the beginning a little bit, mate. Um, we're going to run out of time otherwise. But can you tell me a little bit about your early days getting into cycling? Because I know, and many of us know, that you didn't actually come from a cycling-based family. You started off um, doing other sports. So how eventually did you get get into riding your bike and, um, and getting into the sport? So I think like every other kid, you start playing football, uh, I think also that's the easiest thing for, for parents when the kids are young, just to to send them there for a few hours, you know, and then they have time to go shopping and so on. So like every other kid in my age of five years old or something like that, I started to play football. But uh, the ego and, and also how I reacted when we lost games and, and, and so on was, was not super great. Okay. So after, let's say, <laughs> half a year, maybe one year, the coach, he, he told my parents, like, yeah, maybe it's a bad idea if Messi's doing something else. Football really? and team sport, it's not a great great thing. And I was okay. like six years old, you know, so <laughs> it was not super good. So is it fair to say then, Maz, you're a little bit hot-headed maybe as a youngster? Were you a little bit impatient perhaps? But clearly you had a lot yeah, of energy, but, but you couldn't, yeah. Um, I'm still a little bit impatient, but uh, I, now I, I learn to control it most of the time. Okay. okay, okay. Well, that, that, that's. But that's if you it. ask so, my wife, I'm still a pain in the ass with this. Shit, so it's only when I have to, <laughs> when I have to be on training camp and and so on, I have to take it a bit more easy. But at home, I'm pretty sure she she will say I'm I'm a pain in the ass when I'm not riding my bike or having too many rest days or something like that. <laughs> so. So you started. So to so did your dad? What did your dad? Was it your dad who said, well, "Why don't you try and ride a bike?" Was it literally as random as that? Just trying something else to because how how did it actually happen that you end up on a bike? So my dad he always rode a bike, um, but just for fun. My dad he's uh, without giving him shit, but he's a big guy, like okay, not tall but big. Yeah. So he was he was riding with uh, with his friends and having a good time and so on and. You know, I also played badminton and I broke like so many racks and handball also, but it was also not a great idea. So I tried some other stuff. But then one night I saw my dad, he he went for, what what are you calling it now? Body biking or, you know, if you go to the gym and you have these uh, stationary bikes in the gym. Oh yeah, sure, yeah. 
uh, I don't know what you call it in English. Oh, we, we call it spinning, like a spin class, spinning. I think we call it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this we also do in Danish, but officially we're not allowed to do that anymore. But spinning, he did quite a lot of that, and then he did some home trainer in, in the winter also. And then I was like, okay, Dad, I, I would actually like to, to try to have a bike and, and do some, some training on the bike. Okay. And straight away he thought it was a good idea because I could use some energy when I wanted. I didn't have to wait until five o'clock and the, you know, and the practice practice started and so on. So sure. He uh, he bought me a bike and then uh, I really liked it from from day one and yeah now we're sitting here. That's so fantastic, it was it? basically just seeing my dad doing some home trainer session. And it's crazy to think about now because home trainer is the worst thing you can do on a bike. <laughs> and it was seeing my dad on the home trainer that made me think about going into cycling. That's quite strange, isn't it? Your, 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 yeah. your, your, your big, larger-than-life father on a home trainer was your inspiration. So you didn't have yeah. any external inspiration like seeing the Tour de France as a kid or having a dad that was a professional already or like, so it's literally, that's really, really interesting the way you got into it. And I, and I know that um, just to bring it, bring it back a little bit to, to the wonderful democratic nature of, of our sport, you know, and we hear about this all the time, time after time, generation after generation, there are young riders that have been to watch the Tour, the classics or whatever, even had photos taken with the riders that they admire and then five, six, seven years later, they're winning the biggest races in the world. And you, and you can include yourself in that as well, because I know that when when Mark Cavendish won the Worlds in Copenhagen in 2011, you were on the finishing straight, weren't you? What were you, 14? 14, 15? So in 2011, I would have been 15. 15, okay. Yep. And at that point, and obviously you'd you were interested enough to go and watch the World Championships. Were you racing at that point, or were you still... Um, uh, what, what was, how, how far advanced were you in terms of the sport and, and the competitive side of it? So I was really... That was my second year in, uh, in under-17. So it was just the year before I could do Worlds with the juniors. Right, okay. Um, so I was really into it. I did a lot of racing in, around in Europe, you know, Belgium, Holland... And Luxembourg as well, so I was I was really into it at that point, and I also I just signed, let's say, a contract or whatever it is with, uh, I think one of the best uh, junior teams in the world at that point. Um, oh right, okay. So I was super excited, and 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 cycling was just what I wanted. So I was uh, I was really into it at that moment, and and it must have I mean to see, what was your vantage point? Uh, were you? I believe, were you? Did you climb a lamppost? You were stood on a wall or something to watch the finish. I mean, describe your your view of of seeing uh, Cav win. So basically, the finish line in in Worlds in Copenhagen was like slightly uphill, but it was a forest on both sides of the road. But this forest, in the past, I did a lot of mountain bike, and the mountain bike club I was a part of had like the headquarters on top of this climb, so exactly where ah. the finish line was. So I knew all the small, you know, paths and and so on in in the in the woods. So we just went in there. We found a tree, and then we we went up there as as far as possible up. And in the end, we could look like straight down to the finish line. You know, if they didn't have if the cameras didn't work for the photo line finish, we could tell them. Wow, we were that so close to the finish line. That's fantastic, and and to think that 
you know, eight years later, you 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 were to win that rain that rainbow jersey. I think that's just a wonderful story, isn't it? That, that you were. It, it's it. Do do you ever think about the, the link between the two um, at all? No, not really, because at that time, you know, I'm, I was just really interested in cycling and and I liked to to just to see the race, especially because it was in Copenhagen. So sure, that was really sure. special. But it, of course, it's special if you think about it, like sitting there watching Kevin Deitch winning uh, world championships, one of the the biggest uh, cyclist ever in in yeah in history. <laughs> yeah. And and now I'm I'm racing with him. I'm racing against him. I, I I had the same jersey on as him, and you know, just sitting next to him in the peloton and and chatting and so on. Like it's just crazy. I also told him the story that I watch him from a tree watching world championships, and he found <laughs> it really nice. Also, oh, that that is wonderful. And then because of your position in the sport, your success, um, you've been able to give something back to your father and also to you know you, you, your dad now you set up a bike shop didn't you and it, and it was a promise that you made to, to your father just to explain a few people won't know about that so explain the, the, this plan that you had if you were to earn enough money in cycling you'd, you'd, you'd help your dad out what was, what was how did that what did that stem from so my dad he was a truck driver in the past and I always I never saw him leave home but he always left home, let's say, 4 o'clock in the morning. So wake up 3.30, leave 4 o'clock. Yeah. And he was never home before 4 o'clock in the afternoon also. Wow, long day, so yeah. Five, five days a week, minimum 12 hours of work. And, I, and he did this for 36 years. So I just saw how, how hard it was for my dad, you know, physically, how much it took on him. And then I think he was in juniors. I told him, if I one day make money enough, I will give him, you know, X amount of money to open whatever he wants. So he could sell this truck and, <laughs> you know, s- sleep long and be, be a healthier dad and, and have a healthier life. Yeah, that's very, very and lovely, then, you know. When the money started to come in, I, you know, I, I slowly I put money money aside to do this, and then one day I told him, okay, so what do you want to do? And then he wanted to open a bike shop, and we have a, a friend together, a, a really good friend of ours, and he's a bike mechanic, he's super super good. Yeah. So we went to him and said, this is our plan, this is how we want to do it, and he was he was really. Uh, for the game you know he he really wanted to join it so he's a mechanic in the bike shop and my dad take care of everything there and then uh, yeah I, I you know I paid the startup to make my dad happy and now the bike shop is going really well and he's enjoying his life in the shop and having a great time uh, the most important with this bike shop is if if they one day want wants to close at two o'clock and go for a bike ride, they put a sign on the door and say, "Sorry, we're back tomorrow at 10. That's fantastic. That's a lovely story, mate. That's a really, really lovely story. It's about, you know, it's uh, especially the fact that when you were very young, you had wait when you were younger, uh, you you had that plan and to actually put that into action and to see the happiness that it's given your dad. Uh, it, that that's very very cool. That's a lovely story. Thank you. I mean, just a couple of other things before we wrap up, mate. If um, outside of the sport, because we we look at the you know the, the people that we admire in the sport, and we 
often just talk about their their athletic pursuits, the the racing, the tactics, the training. But outside of cycling, is there something that you particularly love? Is there anything outside of the sport that you're into that maybe you haven't told anybody about? Or is there something that you're passionate about um, outside of cycling that, that you're very, very interested in? I really like cars. Right, okay, okay. It's and it doesn't have to be you know expensive uh, Porsches or anything like this for me. I would still really like to have a, a Volvo Amazon from uh, from the eighties. It's right. uh, it, I just like this. Uh, let's say old shit or whatever it is, but I, I like to to have my hands in in the dirt of the car, you know, changing oil and and springs and whatever you can do. It's it's kind of relaxing for me to to fix something that's broken okay. um, if if we can say it like this because on the bike you always try to be better you're always aiming to be better and you don't have an end on it you don't know when you read the best of yourself yeah but even when you think you're the best of yourself i believe that you can be a little bit better again sure but with a car or let's say just technology like that, it, it, it's quite easy. You know when, the, when it's fixed and when it's working, then, then you're done with it. Yeah. And, and for me, that's quite relaxing to just to fix it in, in my tempo and, and have a good, good time uh, restoring uh, an old car like that, for example. That's fine. Do you have one on the go at the moment, or what was the last one that you did? I have a BMW M3 from 2000, and yeah. I bought it looking like shit. And now yeah. we we slowly start to get it be nicer and nicer. My my biggest problem is I don't I don't sell them again. Uh, that's that's a small problem. <laughs> I, uh, I always end up keeping the cars, but uh, hopefully they will have a bigger value in a few years, and then uh, sounds like it. Then I can sell them. So where do you keep all your cars then? How many? So am I allowed to ask you how many cars you've got? Oh, six, seven, seven six. right now. Six. Is, do you have them in a separate like a garage somewhere at home? Yeah, I, I have a separate uh, garage. What can we call like workshop? Yeah, because we also have the lift and so on in there. But we have a quite big space for. Yeah, you know all these uh, old Vespas and uh, motorbikes and cars and so on I can see you in the future maybe in 30 years time just being yeah you, you maybe your dad's still running the bike shop or but you but you just doing classic car repairs and then going to these uh, these, these events with all these super sports cars I can see that uh, yeah Pedersen what would you call it Pedersen classic cars I can see that mate definitely in the future <laughs> <laughs> in Danish it would be a good like you up and I fix that would be a nice uh, word a combination in Danish. Oh God, that, that would be there. That that certainly, um, you know, Mads, that certainly rolls off the tongue. Okay, mate. Well, my final <laughs> question, my, my, my final question, mate. Um, it's a bit of a weird one, but if you could jump in a time machine, okay, and yeah. go back in back in time to any other cycling era, okay, whether it was the sixties, seventies, fifties, but anything before two thousand, okay. So, yeah. um. Where would you go? But you, as a professional cyclist, so would you? What decade would you want to race in as a professional cyclist if you could get in a time machine? That's a tough one, actually. 
<laughs> yeah, would you want to go what? right back to the start of the 1900s when it, the sport were they're essentially pioneers or would you want to go back to the, the no, days that, of Mercs in the 70s or what do you reckon? Yeah, that, that's too far back. Okay. Um, right now in Denmark, we have a lot of these old guys, uh, Holf Sands and Brian Holm, all these guys. Yeah. I know Brian very and, well, you know, yeah. The, yeah. Yeah, and they, they all talk about, yeah, we were the golden generation and so on. <laughs> and, and it would be nice to come back and then actually compare ourselves with with them yeah you know how with how good they were um uh, let's say I, I i and i think i can say that without um the extra help they got let's say of like course that. yeah yeah okay yeah 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 um I, then it would be nice to go back back in time to to these guys and then kick the ass of them and then fly back to 2022 and then say <laughs> so you, you could you, go we yeah, are the golden fun. generation I like that. So basically, you go back to the late 80s, the 90s, and that's when you'd be able to kick Rolf's ass and, and also Brian as well, then come back. I like it. I like it, mate. Exactly. Brilliant, Brilliant stuff. Mads, it's been it's been such a pleasure talking to you, mate. Uh, thank you so much for giving us, you know, being so generous with your time on, on your training camp. Um, and that just leaves me to wish you all the best. Uh, I, 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 no doubt our paths will cross when I'm on the road at the Giro and the Tour next year. For sure. Uh, but, but have... Have a wonderful Christmas, mate. Have a great birthday on Sunday. And, and thanks again. Thank it's, been, it's, it's been an absolute blast. Appreciate it. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me and uh, happy holidays. What a legend. And I hope Mads had a brilliant birthday at the training camp and someday realises his dream of opening a garage with a swear word in the title. Thanks to Perry Apgwyneth for the podcast theme tune and thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to like, follow and rate the pod and maybe give it a little review if you feel like it. And why not recommend it to any hardworking truck drivers that you may know in the hope that they get inspired to guilt their kids into buying them a small business to run, providing them with a comfortable life and flexible working conditions. Now, if you want to get in touch with the podcast, please do. Our email address is as follows. It's quite simply podcast at sigmasports.com. Or you can leave a message or a voice note on our WhatsApp burner phone number, which is plus four four seven 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 eight three two three two six eight. Finally, a massive thanks again to Mads for joining us on the podcast today. Best of luck to him and his teammates in the coming season. Cheers all. Stay safe. Goodbye. Goodbye.